0: Hey y'all, this is Sam's not Betty. This week on the show, reporter for NPR member station KUT in Austin, Texas, Ashley Lopez, and Dallas Morning News reporter Lauren McGowhey. All right, let's start the show.
1: Hey, y'all, from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners and to my guests who are here in Texas with me because I'm in Texas this week in Austin and one of my favorite public radio stations KUT joined by Ashley Lopez reporter at KUT covering politics and healthcare. thanks for being here
2: hey thanks for having me
1: also here with Lauren McGahee Dallas morning news reporter covering Texas politics your bio says Dallas, but you live in Austin.
3: I do, yes.
1: Thanks for joining me today.
3: Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Kind of yeah. nervous. But oh, fine. my God. <laughs>
1: Nothing to be nervous about. I mean, how can you be nervous when there's a little Billy Joel in the background for you to listen to you?
3: <laughs> it, it does
1: it help. Yeah. You yeah. never need a reason to play this song, but I am playing this song for a reason. Uh, this is Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. I don't know, can you guess why I'm playing this song this week? Uh, it's part of a big cultural event happening this weekend across the country.
2: Oh, Game of Thrones? No. Okay.
1: <laughs> Another thing yeah. that everyone's going to watch this weekend, though.
2: Oh, is this sports-related? No. Okay.
3: I have. What are you talking about? There's oh my a gosh. movie out this Oh, weekend. Avengers! Yes. Okay. Oh, I have given uh, up have, on
2: superhero I have movies. not yes. watched a single one of those movies.
1: So, because everything in the universe has to be caught up in the Avengers endgame cultural vortex... This week, the cast of the Avengers, uh, they released an Avengers version of We Didn't Start the Fire on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Tony Stark, Iron Man, Nick Fury has a plan, Big Shot, Pepper Potts, Reactor Core. So you got Robert Downey Jr. in the crew singing Billy Joel.
3: Bruce Banner, Radiation, Transformation. I mean it's not that bad okay okay which is
1: what I say about these movies so this is part of the marketing blitz for this movie that is probably going to be one of the biggest movies of all time there are these stories about theaters pushing other movies off of their screens just to give as much of their screens as possible to this film it's a big deal you're not going to watch it
3: no. No. I mean, I can say 100% I'm not going to
1: watch it. <laughs> I'll probably watch it on an airplane a year from now, but what I have found myself feeling in the last few weeks is that like there are these big there are these big events in whatever we have left of the monoculture that I just mm. keep missing. Mm. I don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't watch these comic book movies. I'm not into Star Wars, so that trailer last mm. week didn't do anything for me. Am I missing out? Am I okay? I don't know. I think you're okay. Yeah. I think well, you're, you're have fine. To say that. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, time for the news. We're going to start the show as we always do, asking each of my guests to describe their week of news in only three words. We're taping this Friday morning, so by the time you hear this, stuff might have changed. Ashley, you're up first. My
2: three words? Yeah. Okay. High stakes voting. Okay. Uh, the Texas Legislature, uh, among many other bills, is considering one that went and it just already passed in the Texas Senate. Um, that would raise criminal penalties for mistakes people make while voting, um, or in the case of like legislators think they're it's voter fraud. Like, it what's depends. an example of the mistake? So, a, a good example is like filling out a voter registration form incorrectly, saying you're a citizen when you're not. Um, or committing any sort of other kind of major error, um, misrepresenting the yeah. facts about like who you are and, and all that. Um, right now, something like that is a Class B misdemeanor that they want to make it a state jail felony, which will.
1: A felony. A fe- well, yes. So you get you locked will, up.
2: Yep. You will face jail time possibly, depending on what happens.
1: And it's more than just Texas, right? There are lawmakers across the country looking at laws like this.
2: Yeah. I mean, this has been going on for. At least since Obama's first election, you know, uh, Republican legislatures have been, um, and that's his first election, have been cracking down on what they see as, you know, so-called voter fraud and creating bills aimed at either dissuading people from voting or creating penalties for people who do things that they consider to be uh, voter fraud.
1: But what do we know about the actual existence of voter fraud in places like Texas or Arizona or Tennessee where these laws are getting passed or about to be passed?
2: Yeah, this is a great question because there's not data on both sides. There's not good data on both sides. I mean, like, let's start with voter suppression efforts. Like, that's the way that Democrats frame these laws. Yes. Like, how can you prove that someone didn't do a thing because of a thing, right? Like, that's hard to suss (laughs) out in data. proving a negative. Yeah, proving a negative is really hard. And then in voter fraud, like, you know, there have been a lot of studies and there's not evidence that this is a widespread problem. So, and people forget that this is a relatively... A new situation we're in because in texas we used to be part of section five of the voting rights act um, you know, in 2013, the Supreme Court basically gutted a really important part of that law. And Texas was part of this group of states and, and counties that had to clear anything they did related to voting and elections. Before. They had to ask, they the had feds to ask permission before because, they did it. Right, because his- there's a history here of racial discrimination, especially when it comes to voting. And then in 2013, that changed. And so now the only way, like, those things don't get vetted on the front end, it has to be worked through the courts. And courts take a long time.
1: So before, there was like a federal clearinghouse for mm-hmm, new measures mm-hmm. like these. Yeah that's kind of been stripped and mm-hmm. so now you just have to wait until some harm or damage happens that you can take to court
2: yeah and now the courts have changed so who knows like you know <laughs> yeah. under the Trump administration the courts have gotten more conservative
1: I mean Lauren question for you so seeing these type of bills percolating across the country mm-hmm. it makes me wonder if in 2020 as a Um, Like, as it was in 2016, are we going to see the issue of voter fraud or voter suppression be as big as it was then? Well,
3: I think it depends on who wins, right? (laughs) I mean, if Trump gets reelected, you know, what is he going to say about it? If a Democrat gets reelected, what is the, you know, the right going to come back and say? So, yeah, I mean, it's popular political fodder. So why stop talking about it? Because it gets people
1: It gets people riled up. Yeah. 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 Lauren, you have three words.
3: I do. Uh, It's a question. Is not a ban?
1: I like the little neck tilt Mm -hmm. on the (laughs) ban. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) No one
3: one got to see that except you guys. Yeah. yeah, So, uh, April 12th a new policy for transgender service members in the military went into effect, a new Trump administration policy. And there has been a lot of confusion about what it actually means for real people who either want to enter the military or who are currently serving in the military. And I've covered uh, LGBTQ issues for a while and transgender issues specifically, but this one entered kind of like sideways for me because there's a student here on campus at the University of Texas at Austin who, um, you know, came out and said, I'm trans, uh, I had an ROTC scholarship. And And ROTC,
1: this is a program that college students and high school students take part in to get ready to go into the
3: military. Yeah, it's like officer training. Um, And this trans student said, you know, I'm going to lose my scholarship to enter this officer training program because of this new policy. And really what I'm hearing is, The policy seems very clear, Uh, like, you know, it's been written about as this is a ban on transgender troops in the military. You just you can't become a service member if you're trans. But it all comes down to a couple of factors. Um, If you are a trans person and you have had any transitioning medical procedure, so that's like you are automatically disqualified from entering the military. So
1: but what if you're already there?
3: So if you're already there and you've transitioned and you've gotten the okay from the military to do so, you can stay.
1: So there's going to be thousands of actively serving trans service members who are going to be allowed to stay.
3: Yes, but new people can't enlist. So the numbers might stagnate. Yeah, and there's this gray area too about people like the ROTC student I mentioned. So if you've got like one foot in the door and you're like on your way, there's a lot of questions about whether that person would have to follow or or pass some kind of a new medical test when they enlist. So there's like multiple levels. Basically, it's really confusing for the new people.
1: And also there's waivers, like certain portions of the military have just said,
3: nope. Yeah, well, any service, so the services are like Army, Navy, all the ones you're familiar with. Any of those services can give someone a total waiver from this program so they can say, hey, you're a trans person. You don't qualify under our guidelines anymore, but we think you're so great that we're going to enlist you anyway. We just don't know if they're going to end up doing that because it's so new.
1: It is so weird to hear you talk about this because I could never imagine what it feels like to have to constantly litigate your gender with your employer, with the government. Like, I walk through the world and I'm just a dude. And like, what do people going through this feel?
3: Yeah, the trans service members who are serving and those that are interested, they feel like they're We're going to lose our best and brightest Unless they get this waiver that, you know, may not even be available to them and is questionable. And so I think what people are faced with now is there's some gray areas about whether they'd actually be able to enlist. But, you know, we just we just don't know.
1: Thank you. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Lauren McGahey, Dallas Morning News reporter covering Texas politics, and Ashley Lopez, reporter at NPR member station KUT, covering politics and healthcare. Politics, politics, politics. All <laughs> politics all day. I love it. I have three words. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> was I supposed to respond? It's fine. It's fine. My three words are whose national conversation mm. you know the phrase national conversation is thrown about all the time about all the stuff uh but there was a new study out from Pew that made me ask the question whose national conversation is leading the national conversation mm. so pew the pew research center looked at who uses twitter and who uses twitter the most and their findings kind of confirmed what we always knew anyway. They found that Twitter users are younger than the rest of the country. They found that Twitter users are more likely to ID as Democrats. They found that Twitter users are more highly educated, and they found that Twitter users have higher incomes than most American adults overall. And the top 10% of Twitter users generate 80% Mm -hmm. of all American tweets. And so that just leads me asking this question in this... uh, period in which all news cycles seem to be driven by Twitter. Whose national conversation is that?
3: Well, I am definitely one of those <laughs> Uber users. Yeah. So Yeah, I
2: wonder how many of these people are journalists. Like Oh, a ton. <laughs> like yeah. what is the contingency of like journalist Twitter? yeah, I mean, I will say like I, I I think there was like a news organization that put this challenge out to their reporters. Like, don't use Twitter for a month. like if you're if you're no. if you're like a politics reporter getting like trying to get themes and like threads of like the national conversation through Twitter, you're basically doing it wrong. So let's just stop doing that altogether. Yeah. And, you know, I there's a conversation going on about this in the Democratic Party, too. I heard like a couple of of candidates um mention like, Twitter's more woke than the Democratic Party. Like Twitter Democrats are like very <laughs> be different. Yeah. Too woke. <laughs>
1: yeah, right.
2: Yeah, so like if you're preaching to the choir of Twitter, like you're It's not the real world. It's not the real well, world.
1: Well, and it has some really interesting implications I think for the 2020 campaign. Mm-hmm. You have all these candidates, Democratic candidates who don't know which conversation to follow. You know, there's a conversation around Joe Biden and who he is on the internet mm-hmm. that is entirely different than the national conversation in the real world, quote unquote, about Joe Biden. Yeah. And so like for him, he's already a front runner. Does he tack to the left to make the Twitter base happy? Or does he appeal to, I don't know, what some folks might consider a real or more moderate national conversation? It's hard, but it's also complicated by the fact that we have a president mm-hmm. who governs through Twitter. Yeah, We can't not follow that.
3: Someone responded to that Pew study With a really interesting tweet, they said, so, you know, the whole idea, like, Twitter isn't America – um, and then someone responded to that and said, well, neither is any large city, you know, neither is yeah. Houston and neither is L.A. and neither yeah. is New York. The only like,
1: America is all of America. Yeah, yeah,
3: there's no way to take like a pure litmus test on what it means to be American It because that's the beauty of being an American. It can mean anything.
1: But I also felt like before Twitter, the thing that a political journalist used to do and it was their bread and butter, you'd go to a Midwestern state, sit down in a diner, mm-hmm. talk to someone drinking coffee... And that was your American Heartland conversation. But that's also Mm -hmm. on its own one certain subset of America too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You got to do it all, man. (laughs) You (laughs)
1: got (laughs) to do it all. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think maybe that's the problem with the question is, you know, there is no way to define it, you know, I mean, what, what were your three words again? Who's, conver- national Who's national conversation? Yeah. national conversation? I mean, that maybe the national conversation needs to be that there is no one conversation. Oh,
1: that's too complicated. I'm Maureen. getting meta. I'm, I'm getting high. meta. Okay. No,
3: but I mean, you know, everyone's voice is valid.
1: It is. This is another story where it's gonna be a thing for a while. Like, Twitter as a driver of the national conversation is not gonna, that's not gonna stop. Just this week, we saw Jack Dorsey, one of the higher ups mm. at Twitter, have a sit down closed door meeting with the president. I mean, like, this is not going away. Yeah. This can't, is our reality.
3: Can't it, though? Please? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know.
1: All right, it's time for a break. Coming up, we're going to talk about the strange fashion trend that will not quit those clunky, oversized, dare I say ugly sneakers. I ask an expert why they're all their age and how long I'll have to keep seeing them. That's after the break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support also comes from VSP Individual Vision Plans, offering coverage for a low monthly cost if you don't have vision coverage through an employer. You'll get access to the nation's largest network of independent doctors and hundreds of name-brand frames. Plus, you can save more than $200 a year. VSP believes you deserve to see better, for life, for less. Discover for yourself at needvspcoverage.com. We're back with a new season of Rough Translation. Yeah. And this time, we are following
0: people who break the rules. I mean, lying is part of the business. <laughs>
3: uh, and I you can, In my uh, opinion, I the best revenge against ISIS is to be humane. Am I supposed to um,
2: punch
1: uh, a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. New episodes every other Wednesday. Subscribe. Hello, listeners. That was my best British accent. In other news, before we get back to the show, I want to let you know about what's coming up next week. On Tuesday, I am in conversation with the comedian Shane Torres. You might not know him, but you should definitely know about his joke about celebrity chef Guy Fieri. Patton Oswalt called that joke the one joke that he wishes he could steal scot-free. Hear the story and the man behind that joke on Tuesday in your podcast feed. All right. Back to the weekly rap from Austin. Back to the weekly rap from Austin. That was bad, too. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests uh, as this Avengers... What is the name of the movie? Endgame. We As don't this know. Avengers what Endgame we weekend <laughs> the, the takes us over, the only three people
2: in the country not watching that movie. You well, know, please don't
3: send us hate mail. <laughs> yeah, <please.
2: laughs>
1: You're hearing the voices of Ashley Lopez, reporter at NPR member station KUT, covering politics and healthcare. Thanks for being here.
3: Thanks.
1: Also, Lauren McGahey, Dallas Morning News reporter covering Texas politics, based in Austin. Yes, Dallas or Austin? Tell us.
3: I like them both.
1: I like oh, Dallas because
3: God. I like Dallas cuz what you see is what you get and it's like we are we are same with Houston. Austin is like that kid that really wants to be cool and is like <laughs> always trying to convince the cool crowd yeah. that it's cool. Yeah.
1: yeah. Dallas is not ashamed of the big hair. Oh, absolutely. So I'm not. here for it. Yeah. Although I would take Fort Worth any day. I like it there. It's funky. Yeah. Oh, Houston anyway. all the way. Lauren, Ashley. Yes. It's springtime. About to be summertime. Which means it's that time of year where I look at all of the people younger than me walking down the streets and I see their spring and summer fashion choices and I sigh deeply. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things that I'm seeing that I think is going to be big this summer, as it was last summer, are the so-called dad sneakers or ugly tennis shoes or clunky tennis shoes. Have you all seen them?
3: Yeah. I didn't even know this was a thing.
1: Oh, come on. I didn't. You haven't seen it?
3: Well, now I've seen it and I want to (laughs) like... burn my eyes out they're <laughs> terrible have you, have you not seen the Yeezy tweets just like want to gouge your eyes
2: out yeah,
1: yeah. it's
3: a lot it's a lot for the eyeball to take in
1: it's a lot for the eyeball to take in and like I try to not be that old millennial who yeah. is just finger <laughs> wagging I want to understand the clunky tennis shoes I want to see what it, see where it's coming from I want to try to find some beauty in them so I decided to devote an entire segment of this show to the question of clunky tennis shoes with a segment that we call I have so many questions <laughs> What? 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 This is a lot. This is a lot. <laughs> so, I called uh, Washington Post fashion critic and fashion expert Robin Gavan uh, to talk me through the big ugly sneaker craze. Here's our chat. Hello, Robin. How are you? Hi. So, we're here to talk about quote unquote ugly sneakers, but I want us, Robin, to just describe as accurately as we can for radio listeners exactly what we mean when we say ugly sneakers. Like, is there a way to describe them without seeing them that works?
0: Well, I think using the term ugly is a judgment. (laughs)
1: Yes, it because
0: is. Because one of the key designers behind this trend uh-huh. says that he doesn't consider them ugly at all. And that's Demna Vesalia, who is the designer for Balenciaga. And, you know, he started creating these sneakers, which kind of look like they have about three or four layers of sole instead yeah. of just one simple layer.
1: Yeah. And I mean, just to underscore how... Big. These shoes are. Mm-hmm.
0: It's called the, the triple, triple S. S. It's
1: called the triple S because they took parts of three different shoes and like put them together to make one omni shoe.
0: Yes, it looks a little bit like if a Napoleon dessert was a shoe. <laughs> yes, yes,
1: yeah. It's just
0: you know, it's, sort of, it's a layer cake with a shoe.
1: <laughs> what I find so interesting about what the clunky shoe represents, and I love what you've written about this. You've said that it's kind of a, quote, giant middle finger to fashion that we're used to for women where it's, you know, heels and legs and, like, pain, you know? What women also say when they wear these clunky tennis shoes is, like, I can be beautiful and my feet don't have to hurt.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of pragmatism that's connected to it, and um, I think it also comes from... um you know, a new generation of women who are coming into sort of the so-called luxury market. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to use the M word. Uh, what's I'm the M word? Millennial. <laughs> it's I'm okay. Just say I'm one of them. That it's a new generation, it's a different <laughs> mindset.
1: Yes. Um,
0: yes. Sort of stepping into the world of luxury um, that essentially says that the height of luxury is being comfortable.
1: Exactly snaps for Um, that. And
0: the other thing is that, you know, offices today don't require the kind of formality that they did in the past. And a lot of people don't even go into offices. So the extension of your off-time clothing, sort of your play clothes, now sort of merges into work clothing.
1: Yeah. I am really intrigued about the way that class plays out in different spaces. So when you look at like the Mm -hmm. rise of the clunky tennis shoe, you can have designers at places like Balenciaga make expensive versions of things that we could assume our dad may have worn years ago. But when that kind of thing happens in the food world, it's very different. Like when chefs take inexpensive dishes from certain communities and then make them fancier Mm -hmm. and more expensive, there's a bit of finger wagging. Um I don't have an answer yeah. to this thing that I'm saying it's just a thought.
0: <laughs> no, you're right and um I mean but I think it happens in in fashion as well. I think it sort of depends on designer's intent. Uh, but mostly I just yeah. think it also depends on the attitude with which it's worn and embraced.
1: Yeah. What I hear you saying is don't let the clothes wear you. You wear the clothes. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my biggest question and a thing that I've actually gotten into small debates about with members of my team, my editor, Jordana. She thinks that the rise of the clunky tennis shoe is all a throwback to the tennis shoes our dads used to wear, you know, decades ago. But my thesis is that actually the extreme clunky tennis shoe is something different. Because there are some of these shoes, like the Balenciaga Triple S, that have gotten so big and so clunky and so garish, it's actually not a shoe that my dad or my mom or my uncle or my auntie would wear. Um, who is right? Jordana, my editor, or me?
0: You're right, Sam. Yes! <laughs> and the the reason that you're right is because even when fashion reaches back to revive something, it's never exactly the same Mm. because otherwise there would be no impetus to buy the new thing. Um, If you want the exact same thing, well, then just go to a vintage store. (laughs) And your dad, my dad, certainly would never spend $800 on a pair of sneakers. I mean, he looks askance at $100 on a pair of sneakers.
1: Yeah. I remember my dad wearing these clunky Velcro tennis shoes back in the day. And I think they cost $20. Exactly. Um, So part of why I wanted to talk about the clunky shoe now is because I'm interested in how long it stays a trend. So like the triple S kind of helped the rise of the clunky shoe in 2017 In 2018, they kind of peaked, but it's beginning to be summer. I'm seeing the kids out and about. They're still wearing these shoes. How long do I have to see these shoes, Robin?
0: Well, it's really hard to put an expiration date on a trend, but the, pendulum has really swung to the point where they can't get bigger (laughs) and um, the only way to go is towards a sleeker sneaker or some other modification I mean sort of paralleling the rise of the big sneaker there's also there's also the rise of the Birkenstock as a fashion shoe oh yeah That is still going strong because there's so many different uh, collaborations and variations that you could have on it. But with the sneaker, I do think that that's going to start to fade.
1: Oh, this makes my heart happy because I have a pair of Birkenstocks, which I love, (laughs) which I wear with socks and no shame. Uh, And I also have a pair of, quote unquote, ugly shoes that are rising again, Crocs. Yes, I do. I have a pair of Crocs. And I um, like them.
0: You know, I can fully support you on the Birkenstock situation. I cannot get behind the Crocs. Okay. All right. And, you know, at Crocs, at one point, we were also on the Balenciaga runway. and <gasps> Really? Mm, yeah.
1: Did you like those? Mm, no. <laughs> Robin, thank you so, so much.
0: You're very welcome. All right. Take care.
1: Thanks again to Robin Gavon of the Washington Post. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. And I'm Sam Sanders here with Ashley Lopez from NPR member station KUT and Lauren Magahi, Dallas Morning News reporter. So we just heard a very smart person make a very strong defense of the idea, at least, of the clunky tennis shoe. Question for you after that. Would either of you actually wear these shoes?
2: No, nah, man. I like to dress like I'm the default setting of a person. You know what I mean? Well, like, that's
1: real. You know? That's really. Like the factory I setting? Love, love your self-esteem. Yeah, you know, I just
2: like. Yeah, own it, man. Yeah. Like, it was, we're millennials really into the minimalist aesthetic for a while. Like I really. I don't know. And they also kind of look like flotation devices. There's just too much going on. I just don't. I don't know. That's not my that's not my scene.
3: So, I don't personally like how they look, but uh, I'm known to wear those big platform sneakers, like circa 1995. Mm, really? Yeah, I have a pair that actually matches the shirt Are you I'm a club wearing kid? right now. I'm not. Um, I just really love them. <laughs> and they make me tall, and I, you know, they feel bouncy. So, I feel like people should be able to wear what they want to wear. If they want to wear those ugly shoes, I think they're ugly, but... I mean, I obviously will pick bigger battles than items of
2: clothing. <laughs> but I would say I think what like is the rub for me is that it reminds me of the '90s that were so tacky.
1: I love the '90s. Oh, see, I dress. <sighs> I
2: yes, everything embraced. about
1: the '90s. I was like,
2: we're good. I'm gonna say NZ Hammer pants. I don't think they look yeah. good on anyone. They're but so comfortable. Like though. I said, I'll pick bigger battles than that.
1: Time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game. Who said that? B R B. Support for this podcast comes from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, helping NPR advance journalistic excellence in the digital age. Hey there, it's Joshua Johnson, the host of 1A. Often the news is full of hot takes and snappy comebacks, but on the Friday News Roundup, we take the time to go deep with guests who know the big stories inside out. Catch the Friday News Roundup in the 1A podcast on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two Texas guests this weekend: Lauren McGahey, Dallas Morning News reporter covering Texas politics in Austin, the state's capital, and Ashley Lopez, reporter at member station KUT, covering politics and healthcare, also in Austin. I'm saying Austin a lot because I'm here in Austin right now, and it's always good to be back in Texas.
3: Yeah, no, he's gonna, except yeah, for definitely. the allergies. Well, you know, such yeah. is life. You yeah. push
1: through, you power through. It is now time for an Austin, Texas-based edition of my favorite game, Who Said That? Ooh, <laughs> saying, hey. The game is simple. I share a quote from the week. You have to guess who said that or at least get the story that I'm talking about. The winner gets nothing. Shall we? Let's do it. First quote, ready? That's because one of y'all threw a lemon at me. Oh, Who Ariana Grande. Yes. Ariana Grande. Uh, <laughs> one of the biggest pop stars of the moment. She headlined Coachella this year in the Southern California desert. Uh, while she was playing her set, someone threw a lemon at her, and she walked off stage and then had to come back on later to finish her song and her set. I think we have tape of her saying, don't throw lemons at me.
3: Who's <laughs> out <laughs> a lemon at me?
1: I feel bad for her. Stop doing that. I also thought that that was a thing that died decades ago. The throwing of the fruit. Was you that still like do a that?
3: lemonade disc? Like, oh, that's what here. I thought. Oh, that's what I thought. Lemonade mm-hmm. being
1: the Beyonce album. Yeah. And Beyonce, even though she wasn't at Coachella, kind of still line Coachella yeah. because she released Uh-oh. the Netflix Homecoming, special sure. mm-hmm. about her Coachella set from the previous year. Yeah. So, dope. I mean, Ariana got upstaged.
2: I mean, the beehive is, you know, it's a force. But
1: don't throw... I'm sure that Beyonce likes Ariana Grande.
2: Yeah. And that Mm. last album from Ariana Grande. I did not like her before, but I really, really dug that album.
1: Ariana, we're rooting for you. Yeah. Gosh. All right. You're up one, Ashley. Yeah. Congratulations.
3: I'm never going to win this game. (laughs) Let's see what happens.
1: (laughs) Next quote. An extremely or excessively enthusiastic and devoted fan. Tell me either who said that or what that definition is. Is of. What does the culture call those kind of people? It rhymes with fan. It rhymes with fan. Just start throwing out.
3: Can, Dan, Man, Nan, Pan, Tan, Sand. It's
1: close to sand, but Adelaide. Wan,
3: Stan. Yes! yes. Stan. stan. <laughs> See, I'm like. <laughs> right over Whoa. my head and I actually knew this
2: word. The word
1: you st- did. The word stan, which yeah. for years on the internet has meant like an, a super fan, yeah. stan was officially added to the Merriam-Webster dictionary this week. Oh. A bunch of other words were added as well, but stan uh officially means an extremely or excessively enthusiastic and devoted fan.
3: Do I get that point? Because uh, I went yeah. through the alphabet? Sure. Thank
1: you. Yay. <laughs> you see? But this is what's so weird. Like, everyone loves to use the word Stan on the internet to talk about themselves. But the word Stan comes from an Eminem song called Stan, which is all about oh. a super fan of Eminems called Stan, oh who becomes a stalker. I'm not going to ask us to pull up that Eminem song, but if yeah. it was there, I would listen to it for a second. Anyways, I hope you get this, man. Hit me back. Just a chat. It's the yours. The biggest fan. This is Stan. I, I should know that, know, was
3: know
2: that
1: the origin of that. Yes. I should know that. So the origins of the word Stan are not at all uplifting. No. Yeah. And now we love the word stand. Yeah. I, I say that. no, Merriam-Webster. Take it back.
3: Words change over time. They yeah. do, but
1: I don't know. Anyway, the game is tied.
3: Uh-oh. Ooh. Tied kind of. I mean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: I'm going right. to let you have it. Thank uh-huh. you. <laughs> Final quote. Just tell me, get a keyword. As soon as I get control of the board in the first game, I'm going for the $1,000 clues whenever I have the opportunity.
3: Jeopardy Guy. Yes. There's an I Okay, I heard this because I heard it on NPR <laughs> oh, about a Jeopardy guy who has now like won more money than anyone has ever won, like yeah. a crazy amount, like a million dollars.
1: His name is James Holzauer. He's a Jeopardy contestant who recently won more than one million dollars in just 14 games. His day job is sports betting. And so he had an interview with the New York Times recently and talked about his strategy. He was like, I apply a bunch of my sports betting techniques to this game but he said my my clutch rule for myself is always go for the big clues first
3: that's right. He said he takes big risks for yeah. big reward, which is like not what you do in Jeopardy, I guess. You, but he does. You know. Yeah, but he does. And it works.
2: He wins big. Look yeah. at that, opening he- out a bunch of nerds on like the Jeopardy set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: I love that. That's the one I got. Yeah. I'm like Ariana Grande. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, that concludes. Who said that? Congratulations, Lauren. You get nothing. <laughs> How does it feel?
3: Uh, I feel amazing. Go Can on. I get a pair of those ugly
1: shoes? Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, time to end the show. As we do every week, we ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Brent, hit the tape.
2: Hi, Sam. This is Teresa. I'm currently stationed in Germany. And the best thing that happened to me all week is I got to take my six-month-old baby girl home to Colorado to meet her grandpa, Bubby, aunts and uncles, and all her cousins. Also, Sam, I want to say thanks for your show. We listen to it first thing Monday morning, and
3: it is
0: the best way to start our week. Hi Sam, this is Alicia in Chicago, Illinois, and the best part of my week is that now that it's warm again, my six-month-old daughter gets to hang out and play in the grass.
2: Hey Sam, it's Amelia from Long Island, New
0: York, and the best part of my week was running my first half marathon with my cousin. The
3: best part of my week was with my husband we got to share the news that we're expecting our first baby this October.
0: My fiance's visa was approved, so within a month he'll be moving to the United States so that we can start our life together. Hi Sam, this is Nicole. I'm from North
3: Carolina, but currently living in Ohio. I just found out that I will be getting a Master's of Arts in Biology that will hopefully help me continue the work that I love, working for zoos and conserving wildlife. Hello Sam, my name is Kelly and I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, the best thing that happened to me that just happened this week, um, about an hour ago, I passed my final exam for my bachelor's degree, which I have been working on for the last probably three years, um, and I cannot wait to celebrate, sorry, with my family, <laughs> and I just wanted to share. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Thanks. Love the show.
1: Bye. <sighs> That's such a good feeling.
3: Yeah. yeah uh, congratulations,
1: smile. Kelly. I just, the, in, the the emotion in her voice. I hope you celebrate so much and have a great time. And I don't know you, but I'm so proud of you. Oh my goodness. Thanks to all the folks you heard there. Teresa, Alicia, Amelia, Maya, Kelsey, Nicole, and Kelly. Graduation always feels good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It always Relief. And then
2: the student did.
1: <laughs> okay,
2: okay, blom, okay. Blom. Just saying, just saying. Uh, well,
1: <laughs> thanks to both of you for being two of the best parts of my week. I enjoyed our time together. Uh, listeners, we listen to all of these that come in. Share more of them. Just email me the sound of your voice at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. We're going to go out on Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. <laughs> because we can. <laughs> Uh, if you are an Avengers super fan this weekend, I'm sure lots of you are you can go find a cover version of this song by the Avengers cast wherever you find that stuff anyway Thanks to my guests again, Ashley Lopez, reporter, NPR member station, KUT, covering politics and healthcare. Lauren McGahey, Dallas Morning News reporter, covering Texas politics. Thanks to the entire staff of KUTX in Austin for helping us record the show here this week. We appreciate you, including David Alvarez, Todd Callahan, and Ben Philpott. Uh, This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our editors are Alex McCall and Jordana Hochman, who may or may not, Wear ugly tennis shoes. Our big boss is NPR senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Alright, listeners, till next time. Thank you for listening. Keep starting No, don't keep starting fires. I wanted to reference a song. That was a bad reference. <laughs> That's <laughs>
2: illegal. Yeah. Till
1: next time. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Bye.